Good day, and welcome to Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, thanks for tuning in. Today, we are kicking off a series of conversations that we're going to have to close out our year of live shows here on Detroit Today. Each one is going to look back at the course of a specific topic or issue throughout 2021. We'll talk about this year in law. We're going to talk about this year in Michigan politics and this year in environmental news. But first, we're going to start off with a look back at arguably the issue that once again defined the whole year. And that is, of course, the pandemic. Many of us thought and hoped at the beginning of the year that 2021 would bring about a return to life as we knew it before COVID-19. Think of all the anticipation we had in January of this year, which seems like years ago, not just months, but the excitement that lots of people were feeling about the possibility of the vaccines making life more normal and making it safe for us to live more normal lives. Unfortunately, with the year almost over, it seems like we're maybe worse off now than we've ever been, and that the light at the end of the tunnel only seems to be dimming. Yesterday, the state announced that we're seeing over 100 deaths per day here in Michigan for the first time in a year. But there's still some things that have happened this year that are huge positives when it comes to COVID. We now have vaccines, treatments are getting more advanced, and we've learned more and more about how to stay safe. We want to talk about all of this this hour, and of course, we would love to hear from you. Call and tell us how COVID-19 has affected you this year. Have you or a close loved one or friend contracted COVID? Did you get vaccinated this year? Did you get boosted this year? How did that affect your personal experience and attitude toward the pandemic and toward the idea of normalcy in our lives? What are you doing right now? It's the holiday season. Most of us want to be out with friends, at parties, at restaurants, doing the things that we would normally do to celebrate this season. Are you doing those things? Are you doing some of those things, but not all of those things? What kind of safety protocols are you still indulging in your day-to-day life? Give us a call and let us know where you are with the pandemic and what you're thinking about all of this, which is still a major disruption in all of our lives. We've got a really great guest to guide us through this conversation today, somebody who has been thinking about all of these things from a public health perspective for quite some time. Dr. Emily Martin is Associate Professor of Epidemiology at the University of Michigan School of Public Health. Dr. Martin, welcome back to Detroit Today. Hi, it's great to talk to you again. Yeah, great to have you here. So I want to start here. There's so much bad news when it comes to the pandemic this year and so much disappointment, I think, that a lot of people are feeling about where we were in January and, and, and where we are now. But I want to start off with the good news. As I mentioned in the open, there's actually a lot we can be pretty thankful for in terms of what science has given us during the pandemic. Just talk briefly about what 
some of those things are and what we should be looking forward to in 2022 uh, with with regard to, to COVID-19? Yeah, I think, you know, I mean, first, I don't want to undersell with all the discussions about how to use the vaccine and how to implement it and who's getting it, who's not getting it. I don't want to forget what a momentous accomplishment that was. You know, at the beginning of the pandemic, we knew we were going to need a vaccine. And most of us were telling people it was going to take years to get there. And to get there in under a year was incredible. And it really, you know, there were there had been all of these trial runs in science for other viruses and for even some chronic diseases and for cancer to use the mRNA platform and to understand what targets to go after in the vaccine, that all the pieces really came together in this almost miraculous way. And so um, for us to be able to go from virus identification to vaccine in that kind of speed, it's really going to change our ability to respond to new threats in the future, but it's also going to change our ability to respond as SARS-CoV-2 changes too. And I think that that's, you know, I don't want to forget how incredible that was. And then, you know, alongside that, the second thing that's really changed for science is the pace of science and the openness of science has completely changed. It used to be we'd find out some bit of data and we would say, okay, we're going to release it in two months after we go to all these conferences that only scientists are at and, and kind of talk amongst ourselves. And then it, it slowly comes out in some journal six months later. And now everybody's primary goal is you have a discovery, you get it out there. You get it out there fast so it can be evaluated by the field and figure out if it's actionable. And that's been a real big kind of vision shift on how scientists work. And I think that's going to change a lot for the future too. Mm. So uh, the antiviral drugs are in the approval process right now, and they've shown a lot of promise in terms of keeping COVID cases from putting people in the hospital. I want to talk about the hospitalizations that we're seeing now, they are very large in number, and that's scaring a lot of people. I, I have to be honest, I'm a little frightened by it as well, but it looks different than it did before, and there is this difference among Americans, people who are vaccinated, people who are not, people who are boosted, people who are not. And I, I want to talk through what we should be thinking about all of this and how we should be reacting to it and how it differs, I guess, from from what we've experienced before. Yeah, we, I mean, you're right. The hospitals are under an incredible amount of pressure. And, um, and it, that's, the pressure is twofold. You know, one is the large number of COVID cases that are coming in. Um, and one is the fact that, um, you know, at the very beginning of the pandemic, the hospitals were allowed to put a lot more on hold than they are now. We can't really do that for years, put, you know, a lot of other care that people need on the back burner while we take care of, of COVID patients. And so this, this pressure of dealing with both is really challenging for the hospitals. The nature of a COVID hospitalization is, is definitely changing. People aren't in the hospital for as uh, still still longer than we see with many other infectious diseases like with flu, but they're not in the hospital for quite as long as they were in the very beginning. And so the pressure on the hospital kind of looks a little bit different than it was before. We do have more options available. We know a lot more about how to manage people in the hospital and how to treat them. Um, so a lot more success stories than in the very beginning, but it's still um, a huge workload and a, an incredible source of sort of fatigue and um, 
intensity for our, our healthcare providers. And let's talk about the differences that we're seeing among those who are sick, those who are really sick, uh, those who are dying still in, in hospitals, 100 deaths per day. That's a, a, a really large number. Um, there is there is this growing sentiment, I think, among some people that all of this suggests that the vaccines aren't working or aren't working to the level of effectiveness that we had anticipated and and maybe had a right to expect. I, I want to talk through what it is that we're seeing in terms of these illnesses, the, the, the severe illnesses, uh, the deaths that we're having and and vaccinated versus unvaccinated, uh, boosted versus unboosted. Right. So I think, you know, to start with just comparing vaccinated and unvaccinated, you know, um, most people that are hospitalized are unvaccinated compared to vaccinated people. And almost completely, it is is, um, almost always that people that die from COVID are unvaccinated compared to vaccinated people. Now, in the instances when we, and we've seen this even in studies I've participated in in our own data, when we compare people who are hospitalized and unvaccinated and people who are hospitalized and vaccinated, the people that are vaccinated, they do much better. They are much less likely to go to the intensive care unit or they're less likely to need a ventilator. They're more likely to go home quickly. And so even when the disease um, progresses in um, to kind of that more moderate to severe level in a vaccinated person, they still do better than somebody who's unvaccinated. Um, so, you know, as when we talk about vaccine effectiveness, we talk about how we protect against severe disease versus how we talked about just any infection or even mild infection. Protection against severe disease is still highly, highly effective. It's still holding. Now, um, looking at, you know, we're still, we're still understanding what two doses versus three doses means, you know, mm-hmm. as we sort of think about the booster, it do sort of, I, I kind of want to reframe, you know, as we sort of talk about this booster um, like an extra, but you think about most vaccines that you get as a child, most vaccines you get as three doses or four doses when you first get it, right? We're used to having this sort of what we call like a prime, prime boost, it's multi-dose series to get your body really having that broad immunity. We do see the booster um, helping to prevent additional disease. And it's helping to keep the antibodies up in your body for longer. And so we see people who are boosted doing better mm-hmm. than people who are not boosted as well. Um, although that's still kind of an emerging an emerging field. Yeah. I'm talking with Dr. Emily Martin. She's an associate professor of epidemiology at the University of Michigan School of Public Health. Uh, we're talking about the year in COVID-19 news and developments. This is the first of several conversations we're going to have between now and the end of the year where we talk about the things uh, that have happened in the last year, the issues and the topics that have really consumed a lot of our attention and energy and kind of where we stand with them. We're talking about what is going on with COVID-19 right now versus what we were experiencing 11 months ago in January of 2021 when I feel like there was a good deal of optimism about what might happen in 2021. We were already looking forward to the spring and the summer, thinking about the ways that we could get back to life as we knew it before the pandemic. 
But then once we got to those milestones, of course, uh, the pandemic found ways to continue to confound us. Uh, All kinds of uh, things developed that we couldn't have anticipated. Uh, The variants uh, that that sprung up and surprised us and forced us to to adjust. Uh, We want to talk now about what we might expect in 2022, given where we are right now, given some of the dark places that we're in right now with COVID-19, some of the things that are happening that we haven't seen happen in quite some time. We, we especially want to hear from you during this conversation. Uh, call and tell us how COVID-19 affected you this year. Did you contract COVID-19 or did someone in your family uh, get the COVID-19? Tell us what, what that was like, what that felt like. Uh, how, do you, how did you get past uh, the illness and do you still have things that uh, that you experience and feel because you had COVID-19. Um, also tell us about being vaccinated. Uh, most of us got vaccinated uh, this year, and some of us actually got boosted this year as well. Um, give us a call. Tell us how you th- are thinking about vaccinations uh, and the boosters for those uh, vaccinations. Also give us a call and tell us what you're doing right now in the holiday season. How comfortable are you doing the things we would normally do during this time? Going out and seeing friends, uh, going out and doing things together. Uh, are you more comfortable doing that uh, this year? Are you maybe not so comfortable doing that this year? Also give us a sense of the kind of safety protocols that you're still indulging right now. Are you wearing masks all the time when you're out in public? Are you distancing the way that uh, that we still are being told in some in some instances that we that we need to do. As always, the f- number here on the phones is 313-577-1019. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to Facebook and to Twitter and put comments there and we'll try to work you into the conversation that way. As always, also We want to hear from you if you're somebody who is a vaccination skeptic. Uh, You just don't believe that the vaccines are necessary or effective, and you are sitting all of this out, uh, maybe waiting to learn more or to see more before uh, you take the vaccine, or maybe you're just uh, not interested at all. Again, 313-577-1019 is the number here on the phones. You can also go to Facebook or Twitter. Let's start today with John on the east side. John, what's on your mind? Thank you. Uh, so I'm a, I work in the entertainment business, and um, I work with people that don't believe in vaccinations, but more so the people that come into the venues that I work at mm-hmm. don't believe in masking. Mm-hmm. Um, and when you walk in the Fox Theater and there's 5,000 people in there and you look out there and there's hardly any masks, mm-hmm. it's pretty crazy. The uh, you know the other thing is my sisters are teachers, one in Detroit Public and one in uh, Wayne Westland, and and they're just you know constantly dealing with parents and everybody else that just doesn't believe in this, and it's just terrifying. It really is. The uh, the other day I got called to a show down at the TCF Center, and there was twelve thousand people in there. I saw one mask, hmm. and it, it's terrifying you're working five feet away from people that are out on a dance floor that are intermingled with each other elbow to elbow and you're just like well, how does the city allow this to happen right uh, 
And, you know, everybody wants to get back to it, but they don't want to do the work. Yeah. And, you know, I, I really appreciate your calling and giving us that perspective from, uh, you know, from a work standpoint and the kind of risk that you have to put up with or endure uh, because of what other people are choosing to do or, or not to do. Uh, Dr. Martin, that, that, the call reminds me of the debate over restrictions, right? Uh, all of the restrictions that we were living under this time last year are now gone. There, there really are no requirements, public requirements, about how to handle uh, COVID-19. In schools, of course, there are, there are still protocols, and some businesses are, are asking people to do things, but there's no general restrictions uh, from government. Um, do you think that would make a difference? Would that stop some of this really virulent spread of the disease that we're seeing right now if we were somehow able to convince people to go back to the way things were? You hear John talk about 5,000 people in the Fox Theater and very few of them wearing masks. That's, that, that frightens me. Um, and it seems like it, it certainly is contributing to the problem. Yeah, well, I think, you know, this is one of the big themes of 2021 and U.S. COVID response is that we saw this move from government making restrictions to um, the, the push being for restrictions to happen at the hyper local level, right, that a county will do it or that an individual employer will do it or an individual school will do it. And so what it's resulted in is this really patchwork level of restrictions. You, you walk into a business, you don't know if this is a mask required. I mean, I, I wear masks indoors all the time, but you know, you never know if this is a mask required business or not mask required business. And, and, um, and it's made for a lot of challenges in, in um, especially for people that are trying to do a higher level of mitigation to protect themselves, perhaps have vulnerable people in their lives at home, have other reasons to be protecting themselves, to have to implement those mitigation measures on an individual basis without the support of larger restrictions gets really challenging. I think, you know, we are seeing some states move back towards having restrictions. I think we now, I think the latest number I heard was there's 10 states that have mask mandates now. Um, I've been watching with interest what happens in New York City that has a lot of vaccine requirements. And um, as, a, as a result, I just checked this morning, they have over 95% vaccination mm. among their adults in New York City. And so, you know, we do see these, these larger pressures work. But they have, you know, they have economic impacts. They are um, controversial in many areas of the country, but they do work to get people vaccinated, to bring rates down. Um, we have seen those, those localities that did implement mask mandates, particularly in the beginning of the fall with the school year, had lower case rates. I mean, mm. it, it is very clear that these things work. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, we're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we're going to continue this conversation, this year end conversation about the COVID-19 pandemic and how we're all adjusting still, how we're all surviving. We want to continue to hear from you about what your year was like. Jen in Royal Oak, Peggy in Berkeley, Larry in Wyandotte. You will be up next when we get back. If you want to join them, 313-577-1019 is the number on the phones. You can also go to Facebook and Twitter and put comments there, and uh, we'll work you in the conversation that way. We'll be right back with more Detroit Today. 
You're listening to Detroit Today on 101.9 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, thanks for tuning in. We're having the first of several conversations that we're going to have in the next few weeks as we get to the end of 2021, about 2021, about the issues and topics that have dominated the year. Right now, first up, we are talking about COVID-19 and the pandemic and the way it has shaped all of our lives in 2021, maybe in ways that uh, we didn't anticipate back in January when the year started. We're in a pretty dark place right now with some of the statistics with regard to the pandemic, but there are also some bright lights here and there, things that are working out or seem like they will work out so that we're not living under the fear of ourselves or our loved ones becoming ill or maybe even dying from COVID-19. We want to hear from you as well about what your year was like with COVID. Uh, Give us a call. 313-577-1019 is the number. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to Facebook and Twitter, put comments there, and we'll try to include you that way. Our guest this hour is Dr. Emily Martin. She's an associate professor of epidemiology at the University of Michigan School of Public Health. Let's go back to the phones here uh, and get to Jen in Royal Oak. Jen, welcome to the program. Hi, thank you very much. Uh Um, Yeah, so I wanted to call just to talk about, you know, my experience, which does feel like a bright light in this dark tunnel. Um, And then, you know, in addition to being a working mom and trying to deal with, you know, schools closing constantly, uh, which has been challenging uh, for sure, trying to, you know, live normal and work normal hours, but still having those challenges. My husband and I got vaccinated as soon as we could, basically um, spring, summer. And then in the fall, my daughter's school closed down for a week because one of the teachers got COVID. Um, and my daughter actually got COVID, but her symptoms were so mild, we we wouldn't have known unless we were asked to test her by the school. So we took her to get tested and they confirmed, you know, she did have it. And then my husband and I got tested and retested and we never got it. So that made me feel very confident that the vaccines are working. And so nobody in the house got sick, which is like the best possible outcome, you know, and then we got once my daughter was quarantined, we were all quarantined for 10 days. We got her um, vaccinated now that the vaccine is available for children. So we'll be traveling for the first time um, this year to see family out west. Mm. And it's because we feel confident that, you know, we have some protection. Wow. Uh, tell me a little more about your daughter contracting COVID. Um, so, so she's five and a half and she goes to a private kindergarten, um, that's been very vigilant, um, monitoring all the children and parents and teachers. And so, yeah, but as far we, we know she got COVID because we got her tested, but other than that, she had no symptoms. (laughs) So, so it was really interesting because, you know, they like say some kids, don't get symptoms and some adults don't get symptoms. And so she was one of those, but thankfully, you know, we were practicing, you know, just wearing masks when we went out in public and public distancing and washing our hands. And so I'm confident that she didn't spread it, but more importantly, two adults living with that child did not get it Mm. because we were vaccinated. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm really, I'm really glad that, uh, that that's not, 
been a terribly traumatic experience, although I'm sure there it, it was quite scary nonetheless. Uh, Dr. Martin, I'll give you a chance to uh, to react to what uh, Jen's talking about here. Yeah, no, I, it's um, it, it and it's so um, it's so great to see the vaccine have held up and to have not have other infections in your household for sure. You know, one of the one of the things that I think has been really interesting as we try to keep schools from getting disrupted and different, you know, workplace able to people to stay at work and, and all those things is our ability, you know, because of data like this, we're able to say that people who are vaccinated don't need to quarantine because um, the chances of getting infected are so much lower when you're vaccinated. And um and, and so it opens up all of these options. The more kids and adults that we have quarantined, it, it lessens those disruptions you were talking about as a working mom, mm -hmm. because we're able to keep people moving around the community safely. Uh, and, and I think that's a huge benefit to vaccination that we don't talk about as often is like that is really a key component to being able to kind of keep schools open, keep the economy running. And I think your story is a great example of that. Mm, yeah. Uh, again, Jen, really appreciate the call uh, and you're sharing your experience with us. Let's go to Larry next in Wyandotte. Larry, what's on your mind? Okay. Uh, okay. Sorry. Sorry about that. Uh, well, it's just, uh, we've been listening to that. Me and my wife have been listening to this and we are both, we, we're both part of the healthcare system and we're listening to all the burnout from all the nursing staff and everything. And, and it is a burnout and it's not necessarily because of the COVID, even though the COVID is a large portion of it. A lot of it is the way the hospitals are treating the staff. They're short staffing them. They're not giving them enough staff. Now I understand there's a shortage and there's going to be a, a, a problem with that, but it, it's to the point where because of the way they're treating them, uh, a lot of like uh, old like uh, traveling staff and things like that are not renewing their contracts because of the way they're being treated. It's like they're contracted for a certain wage, mm -hmm. and then suddenly the hospital says, oh, no, we're not going to pay you that wage. Mm. And so the, the travelers are saying, well, we're not coming back because right. we contracted for that amount. Yeah. And so... Larry, I, I, I'm glad you called because this is another dimension of the pandemic that I think we don't talk enough about, which is the experience of frontline workers, right? Uh, frontline responders to, to the pandemic, to people working in hospitals, trying to save lives and how stressful this is on them, not just because of the disease and the way it is ravaging people in their bodies, but also because of the way that the hospitals handle things like pay and, and time off and things like that. It's another crisis that's developing that I think, again, kind of parallel tracks what we're seeing on the, on the health side. Uh, Dr. Martin, what about the way we treat hospital staff and the people that we need to, to help us get through this? Yeah, I, I mean, I think going into this, this has gone on for longer than anybody was hoping it would. And and anybody had really thought ahead, you know, what are what what if we're working hospital staff at these incredible levels for two years, for three years? How do we sustain that? You know, we had thought about, you know, I feel like the medical community and public health community thought about how do you make things really big on an emergent situation? Like how do you build a field hospital? But now how do you keep your staff 
healthy um, and being able to do this incredible level of work for so long. And I, I do think we do run the real risk of having a serious crisis. And we are having a serious crisis in healthcare now. And for that to continue to build upon itself, um, we're really gonna have to think about how do we staff, like how do we staff? And then, and as Larry mentions, how do we how do we reward and recognize and treat staff and keep their environments as you know as, as least combative as possible so that they can do their work? I think about that both for healthcare staff, for hospital staff, and then for public health workers as well. We've seen very <clears throat> very similar things in the public health space: mm. workers burning out, workers leaving the field very very quickly. That makes it really hard to respond. Uh, again, uh, Larry, really appreciate what you are doing and trying to do, trying to help us through this pandemic. And and sorry that it is uh, as as uh, difficult as it as it has been. Uh, there's not not a great reason for that. Um, let's go to Peggy in Berkeley. <laughs> Peggy, welcome to the show. Thank you. Hi. I listen to you, and I just want to ask everybody. First of all, they remember having polio as a child. Of course they don't because we were all required to be vaccinated before we went to school or anything else. Mm-hmm. And everyone, no one complained then. Um, I think I used to work as a parapro, substitute parapro, with special needs kids in the schools. Mm-hmm. I won't risk going there. I won't risk going in crowds. And I think... It, um, People should be required to show their vaccination cards if they and wear a mask if they're going into crowded places like a concert, uh, a busy shopping mall, a Kroger's, uh, anything, uh, a play, a movie. Mm-hmm. At this time, people should be required to show their vaccination cards. Yeah, and I think that's. I think that's important. I, I'm I'm just afraid to go even go Christmas shopping. Yeah, yeah, Peggy, I, I I hear you. The 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 lax mask usage is one of the things that I feel like is is one of the scariest parts of this. And and I gotta say that there have been times when I've been caught without a mask, I've forgotten it or left it in the car. I, I'm I'm nowhere near as vigilant as I should be uh, about it all the time. And I think there are, there are lots of people finding themselves in that, uh, <clears throat> in that situation. Uh, I, I really appreciate uh, the call, though, and the suggestion that maybe we ought to be requiring vaccination cards uh, for, to, to let people go and do things uh, in, in, large, in large venues. Um, there are some places doing that. And if you go to New York, for instance, you got to show your vaccination card almost everywhere. There's not a great reason, I think, that we're not doing it here, but uh, but it, it helps explain um, the numbers and the things that uh, that have been really making things much more difficult for us. Uh, Dr. Martin, I'll give you a chance to respond to Peggy as well. Yeah, you know, and 
what it does when we start requiring vaccination is it makes our spaces safer for people who may not have an immune system that gives them a great response to the vaccine that might be vulnerable for other reasons outside of their control. Or remember, we've got a whole segment of our population, kids under five, they're not vaccinated yet. And so what this does is it then makes those spaces safer for other people or for people that are taking care of other vulnerable people in their life and want to keep their risk really low. Um, and so it may makes things more inclusive and accessible to everybody when we can do that. One of the big pushbacks, you know, I've heard a lot of, you know, and you hear this conversation with employers a lot, say, well, if we require vaccination, then, um, you know, then nobody's going to want to work here. And, but employers that have made that move, we've seen many, many, many employers have that worry do the mandate, implement it, and really at the end of the day, find that very few workers walk away without vaccination, hmm. that that gets, it really gets them from like a 60, 70% vaccination up to a, you know, 95% vaccination in their workplace. Um, and almost everybody will, will participate. And so I do think that there is perhaps a, an imbalance between the perception of how much pushback there are from these rules versus um, the reality of what a lot of employers have experienced. Yeah. I also want to talk just a little about <laughs> the difference between this vaccine and other vaccines that are required, for instance, for sending children to school and things like that. There is a, a, a protocol that has to take place, has to sort of unfold before we get to that point. Uh, talk about where we are, I guess, in that protocol for, for these vaccines with COVID-19, which arrived very quickly. We're just not at the point yet where we could have that kind of requirement, but, but how soon could that maybe be possible? Well, I do think that, you know, um, most of these vaccines are now under full authorization. Um, which, and so they are, you know, from a regulatory standpoint, they are very much on par with other vaccines. Okay. Um, the other thing is, if we think about the billions of people that have received the vaccine also, you know, the data that we have on effectiveness and on safety is um, really remarkable to have that at this point. And so, you know, if, if do you think we know, you know, we know much about this, about this vaccine as we know about the polio vaccine at this point. And so um, to be able to implement it out on a wide scale, I think is now about kind of motivation and, and will and, and all of the other things around vaccine policy, not just the vaccine itself. Mm -hmm. um, but I really do think that, you know, the regulatory and the safety data, it's been resolved to the point where it would be appropriate to see it going in that direction. Hmm. Okay, we're going to take another quick break. When we come back, we'll continue to talk about the year in COVID-19 news and developments. We'll also continue to hear from you on the phones and on social media. If you want to join the conversation, 313-577-1019 is the number. That's 313-577-1019. Call and tell us what your year was like living in the pandemic. What things are you doing that are maybe different than what you were doing in January of 2021? What do you expect to do in January of 2022? We'll be right back with more Detroit Today. Bringing you news that matters. Stories that impact your life. 
music from the Motor City and around the world. This is 1019 WDET, Detroit's NPR station. This is Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson. And as always, thanks for tuning in. My guest this hour is Dr. Emily Martin. She's an associate professor of epidemiology at the University of Michigan School of Public Health. And we're talking about the year in COVID-19 news and developments, the things that uh, we're doing and not doing still because of the pandemic, the effect that the vaccines have had on our lives and our behavior over the last 12 months and what we might be looking forward to in 2022. We want to hear from you about what this year in COVID looked like for you. Um, The idea of the vaccines changing our lives or putting them back to normal didn't quite come true this year, but there are a lot of people who are living as though this is over or maybe really didn't happen. Are you one of those folks who is just back to life as it was before COVID-19? Uh, or, you're, or are you someone who is still taking a lot of precautions because you're really worried about the growing numbers of people contracting COVID, about the number of deaths going up again, the number of hospitalizations going off the charts? Uh, what are you doing this holiday season to try to stay safe? As always, the number here on the phones is 313-577-1019. That's 313-577-1019. 1019. You can also go to Facebook and Twitter, put uh, put comments there, and we'll work you into the conversation. Uh, we've got a number of callers right now who are skeptics of the vaccine and the the idea of the vaccines being a path out of the pandemic. I want to give some of them a chance to uh, to talk now uh, with Dr. Martin. Let's start with Mike in Ypsilanti. Mike, welcome to the show. Hi, thanks very much. Mm-hmm. Um, I'd like to say, first of all, I work in the healthcare system. I am pro-vaccine, of course, but this talk about mandatory vaccines, I mean, a year ago, the political leadership was saying there's no way they're going to do that sort of thing. It is a violation of people's uh, personal space and their liberties. We should give this, leave this up to people to make their own decisions. That's a dangerous way to go when you start forcing vaccines and you have a card that keeps you out or in of society. This is something we've seen in history going over and over. It's very dangerous. So, I don't know why people are encouraging this sort of thing. So, Mike, talk to me about schools. If you want to send your child to a school, there's a whole host of vaccines that that child has to have before they can they can go. Do you not think that's a good idea either? Yeah, that makes a lot of sense for those particular diseases. Um, if you look at the risk stratification for COVID, it's safer for young children to not get the vaccine. They're more likely to have an adverse reaction than to actually get COVID. It's so rare for them to get it. Why aren't we paying attention to that? Well, what why about would we, yeah. why would we put our children at risk for the health of the adults? Well, what That's about the adults? I mean, you're saying that you don't think it should be required for adults. In no society ever sacrificed their children for the health of the older people. That's not how things should work. Mike, I'm not sure. Yeah, I'm not sure. I'm not sure I'm following you here, but 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 I I do appreciate your 
calling and and sharing your perspective, uh, Dr. Martin. Uh, what about this idea that we ought to let people make their own decisions and that this is a matter of personal choice? Well, I think particularly when you've got settings where um, the personal choice is going to affect the risk of people around. So I think healthcare settings is a great example of this. Um, the that the you know the risk of um, and we've seen many cases throughout the country of having transmission between healthcare workers and those people that they're taking care of, um, and so that really changes the calculus in terms of kind of how your your and this is sort of this personal versus the the public health tension we always fall into, but how your personal decisions impact others. But I also just want to you know this. Um, with the, when we think about children and how this compares to other childhood vaccines, I mean, we the their um, children are much more likely to be less severe if they get it. Um, but we've still seen a very sizable number of children in the hospital, um, more so than we see with a lot of other childhood diseases. We see children in the ICU, and so I don't want to underplay um, the the small risk, but very real risk to you know the lively um, the the ability of these children to thrive. Um, if we were to let this go unchecked in children, for sure. Yeah. yeah. Uh, again, Mike, appreciate the call uh, and your perspective, even though don't really don't really agree with you. Uh, Lloyd in Inkster, you're up next. Lloyd, what's on your mind? Good morning. Hi. Yeah, uh, I'm. I'm talking, wanting to talk about the vaccine and and the, uh, the the they're not talking. They're talking about all the positives of this vaccine, but they're talking uh, not talking about any of the negatives. All the side effects, okay, uh, the myocarditis in the in the, in, uh, the, the young children, uh, people having heart attacks and strokes. Uh, the percentage is on the rise. The VAERS report, uh, they have a VAERS report that the CDC uh, gives out, and if you look at the numbers, uh, they're, they're, it's, it's it's kind of frightening as far as you know. Uh, they, they're saying that this vaccine uh, is 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 going to lessen the effects but uh, you know personally i have a relative that took the vaccine and uh she uh got bell's palsy from that she's uh six months later still rehabilitating herself Mm. uh she don't have the medical insurance to go to the hospital so she's having to give her own self-physical therapy and and to get herself you know uh so mike or i'm sorry lloyd I, i again i appreciate you calling and and sharing your perspective. I want to give Dr. Martin a chance to answer some of the claims that that you made here. And I am sorry about uh, about your relative. That's that's a, a, a concerning uh, set of circumstances. But but Dr. Martin, talk about this idea of risks associated with the vaccine. Yeah, for sure. So I think that you know the the first thing that Lloyd mentioned that um, I wanted to to talk about was about the reports of myocarditis. Um, And, you know, what you, when the, um, the various committees that reviewed the vaccine recommendations evaluated that, what they evaluated are, what is the risk of myocarditis following the vaccine? So there's, it's, it's a handful in a million um, that, that has been seen to happen. What are those risks compared to the risks of getting infected and then an infection causing also myocarditis? And, um, and I want to kind of be clear, this is not quite an apples to apples comparison, because if you get myocarditis, 
myocarditis following the infection, you are much less likely to recover quickly than if you get myocarditis following the vaccine. And it turns out that you are many times more likely, it's much, much riskier to risk the infection and then the myocarditis that would follow the infections. That if we were to vaccinate everybody, we would actually reduce the amount of myocarditis that is happening in the population. Mm -hmm. Those are the kinds of kind of careful risk balance reports that happen. Um, and so this sort of calls to this, um, this VAERS system that the CDC has. It's a reporting system. It's not an evaluation system. And so what happens is those reports come out and then they're evaluated in aggregate, kind of large scale to see are there systematic patterns or are we just picking up stuff that would typically happen during the normal courses of society with what we're going on right now and not necessarily linked to the vaccine. And so that's one of the, the cautions I give about that, yeah. that various um, tracking system. Yeah. Again, Lloyd, uh, appreciate the call uh, and the comments. Let's go to Amanda in Detroit. Amanda, what's on your mind? Hi, um, I live um, in the city of Detroit in a large multi-story building, and um, they will only require masks if there is a government mandate, and we have to use elevators to access our units. We have quite a few um, older um, neighbors mm. um, that are in the building, and so I think it would be beneficial if um, it, there would be a mandate at least for residences. Yeah, You know, Amanda, I'm glad you called and again, raise that that issue. We also have a Twitter comment that reminds us that it was legislators' removal of Governor Whitmer's ability to impose regulations on gatherings and masking that brought us to the place where we are right now. And that's something that's worth re-raising and, and kind of taking note of, that, that there is a choice about the way we deal with this. And Many of our elected officials have made the choice to to stop the governor from being able uh, to do the things that she was doing early on. You you don't have to to be a genius to see the the cause and effect there. I mean, the 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 numbers that we have now have developed in the wake of the removal of those uh, of those regulations. Uh, Dr. Martin, what's your what's your response to Amanda? Yeah, I mean, ab absolutely. I think that um, I, I think that having mandates come or having kind of masking, especially something that is low cost, low impact, as masking, right? Having that come from a larger structure than having individuals or individual building managers have to implement that on their own is definitely. You know, we know that it works, and it's definitely the way to go. And it's it's um, it is very kind of disappointing to see that our, our landscape has evolved to the path, uh, to the point where it's really hard to do that. I mean, I, and we have to remember, like, you know, I think this week we marked um, 800,000 deaths in the U.S. from COVID. That is over eight times higher than we would have even in our worst influenza season hmm. for deaths. I mean, this is not an inconsequential event in the history of our country. And so as we look back on this, I think in future years, hopefully in sunnier days, um, and see just the magnitude of lives lost, um, I think that we will very look very positively upon, you know, those kind of broad measures that were taken to try to, to save as many lives as possible. Mm -hmm. yeah. Again, Amanda, really appreciate uh, the call. So uh, before we run out of time, Dr. Martin, I do want to give you an opportunity to talk about your point of view as a public health professional and researcher 
your guesses for what what we're looking what we're looking forward to in in 2022 that uh, we we are at a pretty critical point i think in the in the pandemic we've taken some real steps backward but there are as you pointed out up front some things that that should be giving us some hope uh, what what are we what's a reasonable guess i guess about uh, about what we'll be facing come january and then later into the year yeah i think um, you know, I really think that 2021, a lot of us have been focused on the vaccine and the the, the virus um, kind of story in the U.S. I think 2022 is really going to be an international focus, and that's what we're going to be watching. I mm. think really 2022, we've got to get we've got to get the world vaccinated. Um, doing that will minimize these surprises like Omicron, these new variants that crop up, we really have to turn our attention to the international stage because we can't just bubble our way out of that as an individual country. Uh, And so really that's my hope for 2022. I'm going to take an optimistic view that we really start to see a a lot of change uh, internationally in controlling the disease. Yeah. Okay, uh, Dr. Emily Martin, it is always really great to have you here with us uh, to talk about uh, these things. Um, Thanks so much for joining us on Detroit Today. Thank you for having me. It was wonderful. Okay, that is going to do it for us today. Come back tomorrow when we're going to have a really special conversation with journalist and friend of the show, Desiree Cooper. She's going to join us to talk about her experiences as a caregiver in 2021, as well as her involvement in the Sarah Ray Project, which celebrates the life and accomplishments of the woman often called Detroit's other Rosa Parks. Detroit Today is produced by Jake Neer. Our program director is Joan Isabella. Our technical director and engineer is Matthew Trevethan. And Detroit Today's music is created by Sam Bobian and Will Sessions. This is 1019 WDET-FM, Detroit's NPR station, your connection to news, music, and conversation. We'll talk again tomorrow.